What up, fam? Happy Thanksgiving. And you can still say that in 2018, right? Surdy, was there anything in the Atlantic about <sighs> that being offensive? I, I mean, guess there probably could, was, but I mean, yeah. Thanksgiving is kind of a controversial holiday, I think, these days. Yeah, actually, all right, just enjoy your Thursday. Yeah, it's, just, it's just another Thursday. Should we edit that out? Let's do that. <laughs> let's, let's do I'll, I'll bleep your, it. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy your Thursday. Uh, we were going to have Jonathan Vilma on and I, I cannot sleep. This last week has been brutal. And so I sent Saruti the, the, like, I was worried. I don't know if, you know, I was going to be up at five and I got into bed early enough. Who's a bad NBA slate and was watching some of the Gonzaga Arizona games and Wizards are back. What's up? Wizards. I mean, when I saw that score, I go, Oh my gosh, the Wizards are getting worked by the Clippers. This Clippers team. How about this Clippers team? Deep, gritty. Um, so I don't know if that's going to last with the Clippers, but so far so good. And then they blow a huge lead to the team you should never blow a huge lead to. The uh, this look just dysfunctional Wizards. I, I've got you. I got your Wizards content for you. Don't worry about that. That's going to come up a little bit later. We may do a mailbag. We threw the questions out there. So I'm I'm on a couple hours of sleep again. I don't know what the hell's going on. I woke up the other night at 3 a.m. Was just awake the rest of the time. So that's that's not great. The witching hour. Wow, it's scary. Is that what it is? Yeah, 3 a.m. is like the, you know, when like the ghost or whatever is supposed to come out. It's when, you know, scariest hour of the night. You texted me at what time last night? Like 3.30 my time. Yeah, so it was 12.30. I'd been in bed for a couple hours. It just wasn't happening. You know, and I've been throwing on Ozarks. And I have moments of loving it, other moments of frustration. They throw a lot at you. And I also think binge watching has totally changed the way we consume things. Like my whole Pam Beasley sucks stuff. Now everybody's coming around. I mean, everybody's yeah, the hottest take on the internet now. It's seriously every blog, everyone's doing it. And it's all because of binge watching. Because if Pam Beasley only sucks for a few minutes once a week until you can watch the next episode of The Office, you don't notice it as much. But when you bang out four offices, you go, wait, this girl sucks. I mean, the thing about Pam Beasley that's even more obvious, she's on, she had to have a second mom on the show. That's how her own, her first mother on the show hated her so much. They cast a second mom. You know, I don't even need to say anything. I have video of her in the show saying, I'm the worst. I have the worst attitude in the office. I don't even use this stuff yet. So, um, I think Pam Beasley's just, uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of guys that haven't done well with women that just think Pam Beasley's their peak. And that's, that's cool. But uh, I would I would tell the rest of you guys, if you haven't done well, you may not have hit your peak yet, and you can do better than Pam Beasley. So the binging changes the way I feel about certain shows. So Ozarks, like if you watch two in a row, it's just, oh, my God, like how many different plot lines are you going to throw at me? But then at the same time, I respect the hell out of Ozarks and the writers for giving us older sex scenes, not discriminating against nude grandparents getting it on i didn't enjoy it but i liked that it was there if that makes any sense it was artistic well you know they were like look not everybody has to be a smoke show and if we're doing an off-season storyline in the ozarks we may throw some grandparents at you and you know i'm not going to say it was the hottest thing i've ever seen but maybe was it better than i thought and if you're saying spoiler alert I may have helped you. I may not have ruined anything. I may have prevented your day from being ruined. So 
a big reason the way we feel about different shows and why I think things do have to go faster now is because people binge the hell out of all this stuff. So if you're going to do slow episodes, slow episodes, you know, people will be like, come on, where's the juice? That's a theory I'm working on anyway. And I think it's, I think it's true. So I have another bigger theory I want to throw at you with the holidays around the corner. Uh, I have some wizard stuff. I think I want to start with college football. Can I, though, before I do that, can I ask you about the Condoleezza Rice story and how that played out <laughs> in-house at ESPN? Yeah. So as many know, the Sunday uh, of this past week, Adam Sheffer reported the Browns are interested in Condoleezza Rice's head coach. The story got a ton of play. It was the number two story on ESPN.com all day, despite the fact that literally moments later, the Browns shot it down and Condoleezza Rice herself made a statement saying she wasn't interested. So Schefter's the best, but how how does that happen? Is that like, hey, look, if I can get a really interesting quote, I'll use it, even if I know the quote isn't that good. And I would think, I went fishing for it a little bit. It's such a universally bad idea for no other reason than it's just, you know, I watch more basketball than anybody, you know, that doesn't do it professionally. I couldn't coach a great high school team. I don't think I could. I think I could do other things, but I don't think I could actually, like, coach coach a team. Um, <laughs> I like don't know. I, team or, I mean, I think you can coach, like, a, I don't know, AAU high school team, no? Mm, you don't think he, no? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I watched some of the AAU games, and I used to go to those tournaments when I was younger. You're not even coaching, really. You're just yelling the whole time. So, That's yes, true. Could, you I be, could, I be, could I be an annoying, getting sneakers on the side AAU guy? Sure, I could. Uh, but I mean, like, maybe college where guys are really breaking stuff down. Anyway, the point is, is like, I, I, <laughs> I actually was proud of everyone. Did you find anybody that you forget respect? Do you, did you find anyone that you at least follow? That said, hey, have an open mind about this. Cause I couldn't find it. No. I, I, and I think everyone was sort of treading lightly on it too, because everybody thought it was a really bad idea, but it's just tricky to, I mean, she's Condoleezza Rice. Like she's obviously a, a super accomplished human being. Um, the only thing, the, the, what I will say is we talked about it on the show with Will and Will's point was he, he thinks it would have been ridiculous and I agree with him, but do we, does this open up to like, you know, just finding leaders in society or leaders in sports and could that transition you know could that be could could for example could coach k as a great leader of 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 young men could he ever take over the duke football team and as a leader he had to put he had to, he'd have to put good people around him and find a good offensive defensive coordinator but could he be like the ceo of the program type deal so i think his point was that it opens the door for being a little bit more diverse and you know out think outside the box thinking for head coaching hires in the future is that ridiculous? Yeah, that's dumb too. You know, I, I get his point and it's a really good way of doing the segment, but I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's archaic to go, you know what you kind of need if you're going to want to be like a, one of the 32 guys in the world that have this job, uh, a background in it. You know, I, I do think that there are jobs where, you know, the coaching transition thing, like there have been guys, like, Doc Rivers didn't have to wait around. He got the Orlando Magic job right away, okay? And he's turned out, I believe, to be a terrific coach. There are, seem to be so many people that want to argue against him as a good basketball coach, and it's not just because I like him, all right? Mark Jackson would not take an assistant coaching job. He wouldn't, and he waited it out. He tried, 
I think it was the Nets. There were rumors he was trying to work that for a long time because he was calling the Nets games. And that actually, I think, may have bothered some people. There was even a chance that he was, after Golden State, he was going to get the Cleveland job. I mean, even during this early turmoil here with the Lakers, there were rumors that, well, you know, he lives in L.A., and he actually, you know, I give him credit. I don't think he was doing this strategically, but when he called the Lakers game during that stuff, he was he was very supportive of Luke Walton. Or maybe he was supportive of Luke Walton because he didn't want to seem as if he was knocking him and therefore positioning himself to get the head coaching gig. I didn't think Mark Jackson was a great coach of the Warriors. And he's not going to take an assistant gig because the ESPN gig is great. I'm sure he does really well. He's on all of our really top games with he and Van Gundy and Breen. They're kind of like our number one team. So... He might just be able to financially, you know, from, I don't know his money and all that kind of stuff, but I imagine he's doing well enough that he doesn't have to take an assistance job again. But that, I think, is a little bit easier when you say, okay, how could you have this job without being around it for anybody? Male, female, accomplished, not, like it doesn't, I don't care. You could be, I'm trying to think of a company whose stock is in the toilet right now. But if like Bezos from Amazon, all of a sudden, like, I want to coach a basketball team. Would you go, well, he's shown great leadership and forward thinking, and he's an innovator, so let's bring him in here, but we'll make sure that somebody else is calling our offensive plays and installs our defensive system. I mean, that's absurd. That's absurd. So the, the problem with that, too, is, like, if you say, say you hire Bezos to be your head coach, right, and you bring in the two best coordinators that money could buy, those coordinators are going to jump ship to be head coaches, like, at some point. Like, you're just, like, you're, yeah. you're always going to be behind the eight ball. The only job that I can think of, because if you've played, like Deion Sanders had flirted with, um, you know, he wanted to throw his name out there a couple times, different head coaching gigs. I think it was Atlanta when Atlanta had made some transitions. Maybe it was after Mike Smith was let go. And for Deion, I'm sure he thinks he can do it, and maybe he totally can. Like, who am I to say, oh, Deion Sanders couldn't do that kind of thing? But it's also great money. It's sick money. It's a great opportunity. You figure you're going to get fired in three or four years anyway, so why don't you grab the cash for three or four years and go ahead and do it? I was actually thinking about this in the right end. Can you think of a high-profile gig that you need zero experience in that you get hired for all the time? Hmm. I put you on the spot here. High-profile gig high profile with gig, no experience. But you've never done the job before, but people get hired for it all the time. Not you could say politician. Head. You could well, you could be yeah, you could say the president. Um that that would be you know <laughs> that's a good, that would be topical. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh that that's not where I was going. Color commentator. It's really hard to be good on the air. And there are so many guys that have the job that have never done it before. Not, hey, let's work on some college basketball games first or hey you know maybe we'll throw you on players only like if you're high profile enough and it just retired you get the best color commentary gigs which is kind of crazy when you think about it you still have a background though yeah right i mean it's not like you've never been around sports but i, I still think being around it and then applying your like you're either a natural and you nail it or you go up oh, this isn't you know what i mean there's there's guys, some of the NBA guys that I listen to. Like, let me ask you this. Like, speaking of color commentators, wh- what was, what was, who had less experience? Like, Tony Romo or Jason Witten coming straight from playing, or like Dennis Miller, who had a background in entertainment but had no football ex- expertise? Yeah, Dennis Miller had less. 
Because you, st- I mean, you're not expecting Dennis Miller to diagnose a play. Like I know Romo was the thing everyone loved, right? And then as soon as everybody loves it, then everybody found reasons to hate it. And he can be a little hyper at times, but I think it's really cool when he's pointing out stuff ahead of time that other guys either are afraid to say or can't dissect or, or what? Like, I don't, you don't have to be awesome for me. I just have to think at some point, you know, point out a couple things in three hours, you know, two or three things in three hours of a game or two hours of a basketball game that I can't figure out. What I don't like is the results based analysis. Where if the shot goes in, the play was great, the player's great, the coach is great, and if the shot doesn't go in, that guy stinks, it's the wrong shot, you should trust your teammates more. Like the playing of results, color commentary is brutal. Or the former coach that, you know, no coach is ever to, like Van Gundy's got a lot of that in him. And I actually like Van Gundy probably as much as any single guy in any sport. But when he starts doing the, it's never been any coach's fault. And he's, you know, to his credit, he's actually kind of admitted that at times. He's like, yeah, I never really think it's a coach's fault when he's fired. You're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess you admitted it. Um, that's, that's that. You know what I thought was funny about the Condoleezza Rice story? Remember my whole Catherine Smith thing with the Bills when I presented oh, yeah. the segment as, wow, it's just interesting now that you can't even criticize it. And then that turned into like, did a man say something about a woman on a talk show? <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's not going to have, that's not going to fly. Um, I think one of the stories about Condoleezza Rice didn't even point out the fact that Catherine Smith wasn't retained. And that's not some victory lap for me. That's me pointing out that people that are arguing that Condoleezza Rice, well, maybe she could because Catherine Smith, and it's like, yeah, she wasn't, Sean McDermott didn't, didn't retain her on the coaching staff. So, uh, because I remember I was kind of called out for not knowing as much about Catherine Smith, and I, I thought it was funny that the article hadn't mentioned that. That's the first thing I thought of when I thought of this Condoleezza Rice thing. I'm like, okay, how is this going to go over? Are people just going to be really open to it because they are interested in progress and this, this, and that? I, and I I was – I don't know what the proper word is, but I was – I guess I was surprised that people were subdued about it. They didn't just come out and say, hey, like, let's be open-minded to this because it like, like – you know, yeah, because so many things happen like that, and I'm going, what? Like, I remember Ben Lyons and I had that big argument years ago about Becky Hammond, and the argument was this. I said, you know, if Becky Hammond and another male candidate are a tie, and that's pretty much what it would probably be. If I owned a team, I spent a billion-plus on an NBA franchise, and I go, you know, unless Hammond were 10 times better than everybody else, if it were a tie, as far as who I thought could coach my team— I'd probably just pick the guy because I know I don't have to deal with the immaturity of some of the guys on my team. That may not sound right, but it's like I deal in the real world here, folks. When I did the radio show, when I did the podcast, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, so I got like three one and dunners on my team. They're like 19. Like, are they going to respect her? Am I going to get the most out of my investment in this player salary deal? If, and it had really nothing negatively about her it would just be something i'd worry about obviously i wouldn't allow myself to be quoted but i would i would just go i worry about this now i'll admit that since that argument that ben, like ben Lyons was arguing at well absolutely not like why wouldn't you hire her? and i go why wouldn't you hire her? and again it's just funny how people can take that as being like oh no you're being anti-female I'm like no I'm, I'm being pro-reality like that would be a tough thing and i'll admit i think what's great about the becky hammond thing now years removed from it happening is that 
you know, once something happens and then everybody kind of gets over it and then starts thinking about it and then you hear how respected she is and how much the players love her. And I think Popovich and the Spurs were uniquely designed to be able to pull this off. And it's not even a big deal and everybody thinks she's great. And I don't think it's out of the question that she could get a job at some point. So that, that's what the point of those hires is. And I, I think it's always kind of like important to remind yourself of that kind of stuff. But, uh, I don't know. We ended up doing way more on this than I thought we would. Do you want to do college football? Let's or go. do you have more on that? No, that's about it. Okay. I think the Big Ten might stink. Whoa. Yeah. And I don't do this, you know, for everyone that, that I mean, thinks the I West love does. the SEC. Yeah, the, the, the Big Ten West does. Uh, I do like the SEC, but I just, you know, sometimes we make this stuff so complicated. Like, I don't know if that player's any good. What are his wins above replacement? You know what I mean? Well, give me a win share number. What about him? Well, you know, his spin ratio is this. Well, I don't know. I think he's kind of good. Well, what about this team? Well, their strength of schedule is that, and their game score and, and game control metrics are that. I don't mind if the college football playoff committee just goes, we think this team's better than that team. You know, we got a group of people in this room, and then we look at it every week, and we put as much into it as we can. And, uh, yeah, we just think this team's better. Like, are we, are we not okay with that anymore? And I think we aren't. I think there are so many arguments that we have about any, all these teams where it's just, wait a minute, you just, you don't just break it down to saying that team's better than that one. That doesn't make any sense. So let's revisit the Big Ten. We've got Harbaugh taking on Ohio State. You know, I've been pro Harbaugh this entire time. I've always thought it's pretty absurd. The, the way he's been talked about, uh, he went 10 and 3 in his first year, 10 and 3 in the second year. They were number 3 in the playoff rankings, playing number 2 Ohio State. Game could have gone either way. They lost by a field goal. And then last year they go 8 and 5. And the way this guy's talked about, you would have thought, you're like, wait a minute, so what did he do? Well, he went 10 and 3. Well, what happened? Was there a scam? No. What did he do the second year? No, he went 10 and 3. Well, were they not ranked? No, no, they were number 3 in the country. They were like on the verge of playing in the national championship playoff. Okay, well then what do you do? Go like one and eleven? No, no, he went eight and five, but everybody said he couldn't beat anybody good. Well, how's he doing? Well, this year he's a game away from playing in the Big Ten championship game. If he beats Ohio State, he'll beat all the rivals this year that everybody said that he couldn't beat, and he'll be playing for a national championship, or at least in the playoff. Okay, but I thought everybody said he sucked for like a year and a half in the media. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot of people did. Well, why is that? Well, I guess people didn't like that he tweeted when he first got the gig and did a sleepover or two. So wait a minute, that sounds pretty good. He's ten and three, ten and three, eight and five. And he's ten and one with a chance to be thirteen and one. Yeah, and there there are losses to another playoff team that's ahead of him. Man, people ever you know. It's no, here's the thing: no one's doing this segment yet because all of the people that were anti Harbaugh have so many chips or positions. Let's say that. Let's talk stocks here. Uh, their position. They're so long. Harbaugh sucks that they're just going to wait until the Ohio State result. And with that game, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. We know that Michigan statistically and the eye test defensively and just dude central, looking at all their guys, it looks really good. I thought Notre Dame was in total control of that game against Michigan. That was a long time ago, and it was the first game with Shea Patterson where they really didn't know who they were offensively, I think, series to series. But then when I think if they beat Ohio State and then a Northwestern team on the other side, and we'll get to them in a second, like who's Ohio State? For all the benefit of the doubt, angst about some of the SEC schools, it happens to all the other schools that are at the top. Clemson is always getting the benefit of the doubt. Ohio State always gets the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because these are recent playoff contributors. And that's okay. That's what we do all the time. It's, it's impossible to erase how we felt about some of these teams. 
So when I look at Ohio State, I go, okay, so they beat TCU when TCU was 15th. We're like, man, that's really good. And I always credit Ohio State for their non-conference. They are consistently incredible at, you know, testing themselves. Other schools could have just played Oregon State and been fine with it. And they housed them and then they beat TCU in week three. And, and you know what? Guess what? TCU ends up not being that good. Sort of still middle of the pack Big 12, even though I don't think they're middle of the pack as far as being better than half the league. But that's where they are standings-wise. And then they beat Penn State, a game that I was at, that I thought Penn State controlled the whole time. And then, you know, the end of the game, I shouldn't say control the whole time, but if you watch the game, it felt like Penn State, like, man, this is really, really great. And then there was a weird play at the end of the first half, momentum, a bit of a change, Ohio State pulls it out. But we went into it going, think about the Big Ten, East, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. Those are four incredible teams. Again, a lot of people, and I couldn't really come up with a counter to it, were arguing that the Big Ten East will be easily the best division in college football. And in August... And they're like, you know what? There's a really good chance that actually could happen because Michigan should figure this thing out. Haskins at Ohio State, it's Urban, Penn State, McSorley still there, Michigan State, never doubt that team. But then when you start collectively putting it all together, and I know that you can do this with a lot of conferences, and there's nothing easier than everybody sucks and no one's played anybody good game because you could do that with almost every conference and every freaking team. Ohio State has those two wins, and then some weird stuff starts happening. You know, there's a weird game with Minnesota where it's, what, 2014, and they end up winning by two touchdowns. Okay. Indiana, you know how much I love Indiana. You know, that was that was kind of a weird game, but they pulled away. No big deal. You know, we want all these teams that are supposed to be national championship contenders to beat everybody by 50 every single week. And at that point, once they had run through six, seven wins in a row – to start the season, let's say after the Penn State win when they're 5-0, and a lot of people are like, well, it's Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State, and then everybody else. We're like, well, once again, we're proven wrong. And then the Nebraska game happens after they get housed by Purdue, 49-20, and you're going, all right, what is wrong with this team? And then the Michigan State game was ugly as hell. Michigan State actually has a really good defense. The offense was so bad in that that it led some Ohio State scores. And then we're coming off a Maryland game where they had a win in overtime against the Dirty Terps who are 5 and 6 on the season. So, as I add this all together, I go, what are we all still supposed to think that Ohio State's really good even though they're 10 and 1 and 10th in the playoff rankings? Like clearly the committee's turned on them a little bit by having UCF jump them. So then you have Penn State, who again was in this group of, man, they're going to be really good. They're still 12th despite the fact they have three losses, and that's fine, whatever. They beat App State barely. They crushed Pitt back in the season when Pitt stunk, but now Pitt's playing in the ACC title game. Kent State, Illinois, they lose to Ohio State. They lose to Michigan State. They beat Indiana, plucky Indiana. Iowa, who started off good, and even though their quarterback had a bit of an injury, he still put up pretty good numbers the last month or so. And then they lose to Michigan and get destroyed, and they beat a Wisconsin team that, remember, was fourth in the preseason rankings, and they've been a mess, and then Rutgers. And for all the Big Ten uh, fans that argue, oh, nine conference games, nine conference games, like you've been doing it 30 years. Rutgers shouldn't ever count as a ninth conference game. And I would say the same <laughs> thing about Kansas, except Kansas is on their way back. So yeah, then Michigan, yeah, there we go. Michigan State, six and five. They can't score. And even when Iowa's six and one, like it's actually pretty impressive. They beat Iowa State. Shout out to Lames. Uh, but you can't make Iowa State jokes anymore because that's actually a good competitive team. Like the Big 12 has good depth, but they've lost to Penn State. They've lost to Purdue. They lost to Northwestern and then they beat Illinois 63-0. 
Northwestern is going to end up winning this West. They could be seven and five and still play for a chance to the national championship. They're not going to lose to Illinois, who just got housed sixty-three nothing. Northwestern beat Purdue in a close one, lost to Duke, Akron, and again that's four and six Akron. They lost to Michigan, which was close. So you're going all right. You know now what I do here? They beat Michigan State, who everybody who's good is beaten. Nebraska, who can't beat anybody despite being competitive. Rutgers. Wisconsin, again, Wisconsin at the beginning of the year was, man, look how fat their guys are up front. Can this O-line that eats all the time? Let's do another thing where they eat food. Let's do a Wisconsin thing where we bring the O-line out to eat food because that's never been done before. And then, you know, Hornibrook, they lost him for a stretch. But Wisconsin ends up being a huge disappointment despite being 7-4. and four. Like, there's ways to find six or seven wins, especially when you don't have to play the other really good teams on the other side, even though Northwestern played a good one in Michigan and a perceived one in Michigan State. Now, could I be completely wrong about all this? Sure, I could. Could I do the same thing with the Pac-12? Yep. Could I do it with the ACC? Yep. Could I do this, the same thing with some like SEC East-West crossover things where I think that's why the playoff committee still likes LSU a little bit because they had to play Florida and Georgia? Line. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's why when I tweeted out this morning, like say it was a 7-4 and four, or 4 loss, it would be 8-4. and four. It could even be a 7-5 and five win, 7-5 and five Northwestern team that won the Big Ten championship. For all of you that want to expand the playoffs to eight teams, or you want conference championships to matter, would you want an eight and five Northwestern playing in two games to get to the national championship? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that from any corner of the country. And that's why I was so anti Iowa a couple years ago, because up until that Michigan State game and Iowa ended up becoming a better team later on. I go, you know, this is the national championship, and there really should be only a few teams over the course of their 12 games and the conference championship that's even viable for this thing. You know, I really, I really believe that. So, you know, when I go through that whole Big Ten thing, you know, Harbaugh can't lose because all the Harbaugh haters are going to come back out. And it's, I always think it's possible to lose. Ohio State's talented enough. I don't know what's going on with Urban Meyer. Even Ben Roethlisberger is thinking that Meyer may be milking this health thing a little bit. Uh, and that sounds, Incredibly, like that's the joke now, and I'm, I'm actually, I guess, I kind of made it. But you know, as soon as the anti-Ohio State people are out there, we're like, oh, look at Urban. Every time, you know, every time a bad play happened against Maryland, it looks like he's he has this health thing again, and all the rumors start up. Like, what's going to happen? Is the same thing as Florida? I don't know. I don't know if any of that stuff's going to happen. But that stuff obviously is out there. I guess what I'm saying, Sarudi, in a long-winded way, is there's a lot of evidence that tells you this whole Big Ten thing. Not only, like, there's no counter to this. The conference as a whole has been a big disappointment based on the depth and thinking they were going to take over the best conference in the country. And that was a totally viable argument in August, and there's no way anyone can make that argument today. Yeah, I think that was just a lot of wishful thinking too, right? Like, people just want the yes. SEC to be down. <laughs> they just, they want, they want to believe in somebody else. And, uh, you know, and I think that going back to your first point about Harbaugh, you know, we killed him after week one saying, you know, how big of a disappointment is he? I just think people hate on him because they immediately assumed that he was going to be like Nick Saban and, and turn this thing into a championship contender every year. Um, so that, that, that's for me is the anti-Harbaugh stuff. It's just the expectations have got, have sort of killed him. But I mean, yeah, like all those guys that were, that were killing him at the beginning of the season, I haven't heard anything from him in the last, you know, two months or so, right? No, but it's been extremely quiet. Like, have you seen anybody do the, you know, all you guys are idiots about Harbaugh. I've seen Cowherd do it, and Cowherd and I have always been on the, like, we've talked about this. You know, he and I talk, like, twice a week now. Since BFFs, Cali bros. Right. But Harbaugh, 
the Harbaugh argument for him, like I've always kind of felt the same way about it. Like the way I laid it out in the front, the way he's talked about is like, like if you ever said, Hey, listen to this. This is this guy's record and what he's done. And it's not exactly, you're right. He didn't become Saban. And if you're going to do something and you're the new thing, you're probably better off being quiet about it because the more loud you are, the more negative reaction there's going to be if you're not living up to these ridiculous expectations. But Cowherd and I would agree, agree, agree. And then he would be like, you can make an argument that he's even better than Saban when you include the NFL part. And I'm like, you had me right up until that part. Well, that, that, but that's actually an interesting part of it because, like, okay, so you don't like you don't like Harbaugh. Okay, Michigan wants to get rid of Harbaugh. Like, he gets hot. He gets hired in the NFL potentially almost immediately, and he's certainly going to get a great college job. So, like, it's not like I, people around football are telling you what they think of Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I, I just if you're the best, maybe to ever do it in college. Just because the two Dolphins years were disappointing and the other guy played. Oh, I'm not defending that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, All right. Okay. So I think we're on the same page. Well, the real, really quick though, you did, you did your Northwestern thing. So you did compare them to Iowa. The only thing, Iowa's undefeated though, right? I mean, I, like, I, I, it would have been. No, you're right. You're right. I would have, for that sense, technically, yes. Like, I'd be, I'd be pissed if Northwestern, yeah, made the playoff on some fluky Big Ten championship thing. If we expanded the playoff, that would be annoying. But that, if Iowa had went undefeated that year, they would have been totally deserving of it, I, I thought. At and, that point, if they had beat Michigan State, yeah, but I guess like, I just have a problem sometimes with the non-conference stuff when it doesn't. Like when you didn't even bother to schedule anyone, that stuff always kind of bothers me. And uh, you know, a lot of people are doing the Alabama thing again now, but I mean, you know, when you go in and you think, hey, we're going to play Louisville, like pick somebody else in the SEC that doesn't schedule other than Bama. <laughs> but then, of course, it just turns into. I mean, look, think about the teams. Go through the last ten years. Bama plays teams, and I know everybody's going to go on oh, neutral site. How about Armageddon scenarios? Love them. I'm trying to figure out what happens with Oklahoma here if they end up playing Texas in the Big Twelve championship game, which means that both Texas and Oklahoma win this weekend. If Oklahoma were to beat Texas, is there anything that could happen? Right. Like, I guess the other reason I did that whole Big Ten timeline thing is let me just do this. Say Bama beats Georgia, so now Georgia's out. That second SEC thing you don't have to worry about. The only way that's possibility is Alabama losing a close game and then other scenarios. So say Clemson beats Pitt, so one and two spots are in there. Notre Dame beats USC this weekend. And the thing is with this weekend, I've been around long enough to know there have been so many times you're like, oh, well, it's just going to be this, this, and this. And this season has been boring. But... There's so many times it doesn't happen that way. You're like, I mean, the end of 2007 still to this day is, is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in sports. But if if Michigan loses to Ohio State and Ohio State beats, and I'm assuming Northwestern's going to beat Illinois, if Ohio State beat Michigan, then beat Northwestern, Ohio State at 12-1, and one, I think the committee's telling you I don't know if there's an Armageddon scenario where 12 and 1 Ohio State's playing in the playoff. And that's Oof. something I haven't seen anybody bring up anywhere. Think about that. Like if I ever say, hey, 12 and 1 Ohio State, they play TCU out of conference, they win the Big 12. Or, well, that'd be even more impressive if they won two conferences. They win the Big 10, they're 12 and 1, but they're not in the playoff. All right, what, ha- what has to happen then? So in that scenario, Bama's in, Clemson's in. Bama's in, Clemson's in, 
They uh, beat Notre Michigan. Dame's Notre Dame's in. So Michigan's out now. Michigan, they'd have to beat Michigan. Oklahoma would have to lose in the Big 12 title game. To Texas, because Texas has three losses, yep. so they're not, they're not ahead of Ohio State. Uh, the Pac-12, I guess you'd have to have Washington lose to Washington, Washington State lose to Washington, or you could have Washington State beat Washington and then beat a Utah team where you're like, okay, it's Utah. Not saying they're bad, but it's it's not like some Armageddon thing. Like as I'm sitting here talking about Northwestern, uh, you know, it's worth pointing out too that the other side of that Pac-12 championship game isn't that last data point that's really going to blow somebody away. Where I think a win over Texas would be more impressive. Yeah, although Texas, look, they got Utah 17th. It's only a couple spots behind Texas, so I, it's basically even in the committee's eyes as far as I'm concerned. Um, you, know, you see what I'm saying here? Imagine if a one-loss Washington State got in over a one-loss Ohio State. And that's the problem for you know Washington State is I'm rooting for it. You, know, you beat Wyoming, who's five and six, one and ten San Jose State, but you did take down nine and two Eastern Washington. Go Big Sky! Uh, look, I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> the reason it dawned on me this morning when I'm doing all these notes, I go. Wait a minute, could Ohio State just not be in even if they beat Michigan and then beat Northwestern? Because it's not like they're beating eleven and one Wisconsin. It's not like they're beating even, you know, a a, a really good record Iowa team that isn't as strong non conference as, as they were, say, a couple years ago. I don't know. It's I think it's at least like that would be a good segment on a game day. Like that would be a good segment where you go, wait a minute, is there a possibility that twelve and one Ohio State would be left out because they've had for what we expect from Ohio State an unimpressive run for the last month. And their loss, you know, this is where the LSU fans start going, wait a minute, what if Notre Dame loses uh, SC? What if Michigan loses to Ohio State? Then Ohio State loses to Northwestern. What if Bama kills Georgia? What if Clemson loses to Pitt? What if Oklahoma loses to West Virginia twice? What if Washington State loses to Washington and then Washington loses to Utah? At that point, you know what? Throw UCF in. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the only one we haven't talked about. But to remember, we always seem to look at the polls over the years as this elimination thing. And when Armageddon does happen, they'll just replace the teams that had the worst losses with the teams that had the better losses. You don't just, this isn't an eliminator pool thing. <laughs> they'll still, still end up putting in a team if all of these terrible scenarios happen. And I don't mean terrible because it actually be finally entertaining this season, but if all these weird things happened, it's not like they would start saying, "Okay, you know, let's get Mississippi State in there." Then, you know, that's just not you don't you don't just lap teams just because they've lost in front of you. You want to do a mailbag question? Yeah, let's do it. Um, let me bring them up. I don't know. They they really slack. Like, there's so many that I end up being... Like, dude's just, just trying too hard? No. Let's see. Yeah, like a lot of chess things, workouts. It's all it's all Life workout update. stuff. You know what? I actually have a thing I want to share with you. It's a, it's a theory. And then I'll do... I'll do, just do a little NBA stuff at the end. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. All right. I have this, this thing that I've been working on with a couple people. But first... A word from our good friends from First Leaf, the only wine club that is online 
that uses your ratings to make personalized wine selections match to your taste. The more wine you taste and rate, the better they customize your box based on the wines you like. When you sign up with my personal link, you get your three-pack of introductory wine for only $15 plus free shipping. If you then rate your first three wines, you'll get an extra $10 off your next box of wine. I remember back in the day with my father when we were ship merchants off the coast of Spain. <laughs> and back then, many of the wine, and I don't want to call us smugglers, but a lot of the wine that we were transporting via sea, you just couldn't keep track of it. And it wasn't labeled great back then. And sometimes the labels would fall off. And it was just, it was just really impossible. And I remember pulling up the main one day and saying, Papa, wouldn't it be great if there was a way where there would be a company that could sort my wine preferences based on my taste alone? And I didn't have to think that much about the wine other than saying, Hey, I like this. Hey, I don't like this. And then eventually our palate would be just digitally enhanced and we'd all be happy. And we wouldn't have to leave port for six months at a time and barely see our family and, and come back and there'd be a new kid that we didn't even know. And he said one day. And you know what? That day is now. So when it comes to buying wine, most of our choices are made out of habit. We don't remember how we found our favorites. We just know that we're all at checkout and those same brands. You're looking at the bottles. You're looking at the cart. You're thinking, hey, is that is that guy from Maniac that used to date Aniston, is he really dating somebody else now? And then you're just looking at those same wine bottles. Well, First Leaf is a new online wine club that's putting a stop to boring wine buying by helping you discover your new favorite wines. Every shipment is curated to your taste based on your ratings of the wines. Um, what you have to do, as I did, it's pretty simple. You answer three quick questions about your wine drinking preferences. Then First Leaf creates an introductory three-pack of wine for you based on your flavor profile. Best part is you get all three for just $5 each. All right, so these wines should go for like 20 bucks a piece. So just do this for your wife or your girlfriend. You're going to seem so much smarter, maybe mature a little bit. She's like, you know, I was going to leave him. The guy signed up for First Leaf. I'm back in. When the bottles arrive, you taste it, rate them online. First Leaf takes a look at the ratings and select the new wines. That's what I did based on the taste for the next shipment. Their experts are constantly exploring new wines for me to taste and rate. It's amazing how accurate they are at selecting wines that I love. After rating my first three wines, the next shipment I got was almost perfect. Five out of six wines were spot on. And my shipments are only going to get better the more wines that I taste. With First Leaf, you never have to worry about spending money on a bad bottle of wine. They guarantee you'll love the wine you buy. They'll give you your money back. So where's the hassle in this whole thing? There isn't any. So try First Leaf Wine Club today where buying great wine is simple. Sign up with my personal link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. It's three bottles of wine for only $15 plus free shipping. That's not all. If you rate these three wines, you'll get an extra $10 off your next box. Just do this. Get it over with. What a great little surprise stocking stuffer present. It's thoughtful, all right? It's not a Birkin bag, but it's thoughtful. It's more thought. Everybody can get a bag. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's tryfirstleaf slash Rosillo. Okay, the holidays. I have a theory, like a new a law that I'd like to pass, and then I'll get to some John Wall stuff. I could probably do an hour on John Wall. I don't want to. I think I went a lot longer on the college football stuff than I was going to, but... Vilma sent me a text. He apologized. But that's all right. I think we're still good. Vilma would love this rule. Oh, it's all right. We'll get him again. What if in society, let's just keep it to the United States because I don't want to get an international law here. What if everyone were allowed, and it was totally legal, once a year, based on anything that happened in your day-to-day life, something that happened at work, something that happened 
over a parking spot, something that happened with online harassment, anything, a neighbor, you're allowed to fight one person a year. Now, did this does this person have to consent to fighting you? They have to. Okay. They have to fight you. And I know what I'm going to go, oh, a meathead, or that's fine. But I do think society would be better off if we all knew that a little bit more was on the line. <laughs> so if you went to, say, Chris Long and called him a liberal hack after he donates an entire, his entire paycheck for the season to charity because he's just a great human being, and you're uh, Hank, you know, just got done streaming Fortnite on Twitch, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? Because here's what I know. Most successful people don't usually spend a ton of time insulting other people online, okay? So if you knew if you hit send on that, Chris Long could just say, I nominate you, Hank. We're going to fight now. And you have to fight him. If you decide to pull some deal where you're like a mouthy guy over a parking spot and you're wrong, but you're just doing the thing, and you've seen it happen a million times, you're like, oh, what are you going to do? Oh, go ahead, hit me, hit me. I'll sue you. I'll own you. Well, wait a minute. In my proposal, you'd be like, "Hey, all right, dude. You know, here's the deal. You're gonna get you're gonna get a letter in the mail, and you're gonna have to fight me this year." I think it would. I think people be in check a lot more if they knew. Hey, I actually like. I'll have to do a sanctioned fight if I act this way. I mean, they definitely would. Well, right? it would take it would take some time for people to learn because people wouldn't people wouldn't believe it at first. They would be like, "Oh, he's never gonna pick me," and then you get picked to fight Chris Long. And then you're probably never going to do that again. Yeah. So you're you're suggesting that this would take there'd be gradual. Yeah, it wouldn't be a steep <laughs> decline. Like it would be a, a people would have to learn. Like, oh, I'm gonna get my you know I'm gonna get my ass beat one time. Like, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'm not gonna fire that tweet after Chris Long again or some other random celebrity. Right. I really anybody resisting this now? A few minutes in, like, oh, it's ridiculous. You know, that's actually decaying society. Huh? A man's. Um, <laughs> well, we could all agree that the pro- the problem is there are no consequences, right? That's there's none. That's there's it. none. So it's not just on online. It's not just mouthy guy that knows he couldn't do anything in a fight. It's it's you know what? Let's let's go back to you know the beginning of the book, Sapiens. Here, let's let's like well, how about guys, girlfriends, and wives? You know? Oh, you want to be a dude who's going to mess with my girl, and we have to work together. Well, maybe instead of doing first take this week, I'm going to fight you. And probably promote lifting and, and being in shape more, too. Honestly, there's there's multiple benefits to this. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Think about the insurance premiums going down. Because everybody would be... Or people could just... You know what? Instead of being in better shape, people could stop being total bleeps to each other. Yeah, but then it might work the other way, right? Because there's always going to be the guy that wants to fight everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to, like, embrace this. I guess if you only have it once a year, though. Yeah, but that guy who wants to fight everyone all the time, maybe he now fights less. Maybe he doesn't get into a – he doesn't throw haymakers at the harp on a Friday. You know? Because he realizes now that high school was his peak. Here's the, here's the flaw. Here's the flaw. Okay. Say you get chosen and, yes. you know – you ha- you know it's it's two months in. You have another ten months where you can just you know talk smack for free because you know that you're never going to get picked. 
So you think once you get beat up, <laughs> if you get it, if you get out of the way early, he's got ten months of free smack talk before he before it kicks in again for a new year. I know, but have you ever gotten like beat up bad? Uh, no. I mean, I've gotten punched, but not you know. Yeah. Um, like I haven't been you, pummeled by someone. Yeah, one on a one on one pummeling is pretty humiliating, and. You might I, – I get what you're saying. I still think that there'd be more people that would go, you know what wasn't fun? I said something I shouldn't have said. I was wrong. I was challenged. New U.S. fight laws mandate that I have to fight this person. I got mopped in front of people. My parents were there. All right, I want to start being a jerk to everybody because now I can get away <laughs> with it for the next 10 months. I think there'd be less people well, that did that as opposed to people like, you know what? Maybe I can improve on some things with <laughs> I mean, I hope so for the better of, you know, everybody, but I, this has to be televised too, right? I'd imagine like these things need to be public. Oh, yeah. At I, least I streamed somewhere. Floor of whatever, yeah, whatever we were doing with, with trying to get this stuff out there. I think there'd be some concerns with guys with doctor bills saying, you know, hey, you know, rich guys would try to get some doctor to say my client is not medically cleared to fight. And then we, <laughs> I would just have a governing body that was like, well, stop being a jerk, you know? Like, yeah, listen. These yeah, rules don't not, apply here. That's that was on you. Sorry. Uh I think I'm on to something here. That'd be I interested. Really so it's like a legal fight club that's not that that people talk about. Yeah, everybody knows about it. It's it's out there. I mean, it's part of it we put it in the constitution where, you know, and you may not ever ever get picked. You know, I guess there are if there were another flaw that you could say is like what if somebody were else were a jerk and it was like month 11? And, you know, some Jack Rams fan that just is like, you know who I hate is Rosillo. And I'm going, I got to fight this Jack Rams guy. Maybe there could be a tribunal. But again, the more you start adding people in here, you know, oh, we got to have a tribunal now to see if this is something that we can actually agree on. Like Rosillo was in the wrong. Like, I don't know. He just had a bad Rams take a couple years ago. Not a big deal. And now he's going to get beat up by this enormous dude from Riverside. That doesn't seem cool. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I actually think it'd be better. I think I think it'd be a little better if people knew that there was a little bit more risk in the way they handled themselves day to day. I agree. Business deals that go wrong, and eh, whatever. We'll just get caught up in in a lawsuit for years and my lawyers are better than your lawyers and you know what, you're gonna lose. No, actually, I've been working sheetrock my whole <laughs> life and this is your second home and you're from, you know, Newberry. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to beat you up in front of your family legally. And that's because you didn't pay me for my sheetrocking job and you shouldn't have messed with, you know, guys that hang sheetrock don't do this because they love it. I just picture like some guy like serving you with an envelope. That's like a fight envelope. And like, you're terrified to get that to, for that guy to come to your door. That would be hilarious. Cause you'd be sitting there, like say you were roommates, you're in your twenties and you're going, oh my god! Do you know who just ch- like who I have to fight this year? Like, what if? Or you'd be like, oh, you know who just got served? Like Brian. Yeah, yeah Brian got served. <laughs> like by he was crazy. Tyler. He's got to fight this dude. Yeah, that guy Tyler, who doesn't even go here, challenged <laughs> Brian to a fight. Well, what did Brian do? He didn't do anything. All right, so yeah, there'd be some people that would There's get challenged there. to fights that yeah that that didn't deserve it. Okay. Uh, I would nominate any of the Wizards to fight because 
This is the least surprising thing. There are some things that aren't surprising. The Bulls are terrible defensively. The Jabari Parker's terrible defensively. That Sacramento, despite being competitive all season, and I love how hard they play, and I'm not quite sure that they're going to be this good. And De'Aaron Fox, I don't think he's going to be like a top five point guard ever because he's still a little out of control, but he's good. Buddy Heald is good. Colley Stein has been terrific. And the anti-Dave Yeager stuff, I imagine, is because Marvin Bagley wasn't playing enough for them, but they were still winning games. And they were really good the other night against Oklahoma City. So for whatever reason, I'm on another Sacramento Kings kick. But it wasn't super surprising that the Sacramento Kings, uh, there was some suggestion that there was friction and that Jaeger's job could be in jeopardy. And you go, you guys are unbelievable. Jaeger's a good coach, okay? So that's not surprising. But the least surprising thing is that the Wizards all of a sudden uh, aren't getting along, okay? They're 6-11. and The comeback win that we mentioned at the top. I think some of the stuff that I read about they are now trying to see what their players are worth and what could be out there in the market. If that's true, if that's true that they were like, we're not taking any calls on John Wall or we wouldn't shake this thing up for a Jimmy Butler or we wouldn't do any of those things, then they're even worse than I thought they were. And to just think that you would say, hey, we've got kind of a combustible group here. What could we add to this? Uh, you want to add Jeff Green? Austin Rivers and Dwight Howard? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, think about that happened this offseason. The fakest tough guy team in the league that is so enamored with the team they see in the mirror individually without realizing in reality who they are. They talk so much. Like, I've done this whole segment already numerous times. But that you would then say, let's, let's throw in Dwight Howard Austin Rivers and Jeff Green. That would be like the trifecta with Kate Fagan, Jane McManus, and Sarah Spain naming Will Kane their fourth co-host. Okay? There's no way you would go, hey, let's bring this dynamic in just to see how it goes. Although Will did co-host a show with Kate. He did, yeah. That was good. I like that show. Will Will and Kate. Yeah. They're not any good. Wall's contract's terrible, but for those of you ripping John Wall's contract now, where were you when he signed the extension? Were you ripping the Wizards for this deal then, or were you saying the cap went up? And boy, is this deal bad. He will make next year $38 million, then $41 million, then $44 million, and then $47 million. I'm going to go ahead and report now he's not going to opt out. Three years. That's breaking news. Forty-seven million. And to make it even worse, he has a fifteen percent trade kicker of the total value of the contract. If he's traded, why you needed to do that? Hey, John, we're going to pay you forty-seven million four years from now after two knee surgeries. But just in case we can trade you, which we, you know, and I don't think there's ever an impossible contract to trade. Some of these source things that I read, not to say that the sources are wrong, uh, and the information's wrong, because nobody really, you know, we, we don't like doing that to each other all the time, even though I'll do it sometimes. Uh, the, the concept that, oh, you know, if you have that 47 million that last year, that'll cripple you. If John Wall is traded and it's 47 million remaining three years from now, I know exactly what everybody's going to say. They're going to say, ah, it's only one year left on the deal. 
And there's a salary floor anyway, so you're just going to get it. So some of the stuff that's coming out now, it's real easy after the fact. It's easy after the fact to kill a contract that at the time everyone went. John Wall, two years ago, flirting with being a top-ten player. It's real. He was terrific there for a stretch. I've always liked Wall, I think, more than other people have. But it's very clear from a personality standpoint this thing's never going to work. It wasn't going to work last year. Uh, it wasn't going to go and work this year with the things you added to it. So now as soon as Wall, like a lot of these guys, signs the new contract with the new CBA, as soon as it is then signed, then that that player then somehow becomes untradeable, which is a really weird thing about this league. But the after the fact, second guessing the contracts, I, the, the people ripping the contract now weren't saying anything about this before. I'm not saying no one was like, dude, are you seriously, you want to pay this guy that much? Uh, I don't know. The Wizards just aren't, aren't great at this. They just aren't. They just are not a great decision making team on and off the court. But, you know, as I've learned all the years of being on campus is every single guy that used to coach that came in to work with us, it's instinct to say it's every, everybody else's fault. You know what I mean? It's happening now. Like my Jeff Fisher stuff with Jared Goff, we had heard from a bunch of different people that he wanted Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that Jeff Fisher actually believed that at the time, but as Goff was bad that first year, it then became, well, you know, Jeff Fisher always kind of wanted Carson Wentz. Hugh Jackson has only wanted every quarterback that's awesome and never wanted any of the ones that weren't. He's done a great job with that. The LeBron James piece in The Athletic, okay? How about that deal? Where LeBron James, whether you talk to David Griffin, who was the GM at the time, it looked like they had a deal in place for Paul George, which would have included Kyrie, or Brian Windhorst, who's reported on this, Zach Lowe, who has talked about this. This has been going on now for a long time, this story about Paul George coming in, Eric Bledsoe coming in, Kyrie Irving going out, and that's why the Kyrie stuff ended up happening the way it happened, that he didn't want to play with LeBron anymore. But then because that trade, the not the Kyrie one for the other guys, and the reason they never did that trade is because ownership was saying to, to LeBron, look, if George can be up in a year, you can be up in a year. I need some sort of commitment beyond this year, and LeBron wouldn't do that for him. But then the Athletic comes out with peace, and Joe Varden's really good on the Cavs. But it was a very pro-LeBron piece in that, as he comes back to Cleveland, it was LeBron saying, I never wanted Kyrie to be traded to Boston. Okay? And I actually... And you'll remember this, Saruti, because we were talking that entire week before the Kyrie trade to Boston, is I felt like, at least from the people that I had talked to, is there was a real belief they were going to take another shot at the season with Kyrie. And then I think Dan Gilbert went to Kobe Altman, and everybody just said, you know what, let's move on. So I would believe that LeBron didn't think at some point in that timeline that Kyrie was going to end up in Boston. But there was also another part of that story that happened earlier that summer where LeBron was okay with Kyrie moving on when LeBron thought he was getting much better teammates back than Isaiah Thomas and Ante Zizic. Yeah, it was weird because that whole thing was sort of slow play reported almost, and it, it seems like it's you know widely accepted now that Kyrie just wanted out because LeBron wanted him out or was looking for you know better guys to play with. So, I mean, and I told- it's been written about so many times by the people that would know. Yeah. Okay, like when David Griffin starts talking about it, you're like, well, he would know he was the guy. <laughs> he was running the team. And then he wasn't. Then he wasn't retained. So I, I can believe that two things are different, but I can never express enough to all of you that are listening, that watch any of us on TV, listen to any of us on radio and podcast, that when we're talking to people that were former decision makers, and when I mean former, that means they hope to be a current one again, they're amazingly convenient 
with their memories about whose fault the good and bad transactions were. Like Greg Schiano, when he worked with us, Greg Schiano acted as if the entire four or five month season was a car wash. Like he never said anything interesting about anything that happened at Tampa. Nothing. Because eventually he knew he wanted to get back into coaching, and that's fine. But I actually do think these guys look. You can be a little bit more forthcoming. You can be a little, like Shiano would come in. It was almost like oh, I got to do a radio hit. It's a little beneath me. He used to coach the Tampa Bay Bucks. These guys know that. And you go like you know, tell me a little bit. Well, you know, you just you just try it. And you're like you know, you're not the coach anymore, right? You don't have to keep it in house. You can tell us something interesting at some point. I've never. It's the longest car wash I've ever seen. Greg Shiano, four or five months. You're like, no, no, you work here, dude. Yeah, you don't, like, you have to pay for your lunch now. <laughs> hey, you're, you're, I mean, you're incredibly right about that. Right, like, Sean Wyman isn't going to take you to lunch every day. You have, you're, you have, like, a schedule, and you got to hit, and there's going to be an NFL Live, and they're going to ask you to talk about other interesting stuff. Like, wait, what are we doing here, radio? Uh, Meh. You guys bumped today again? Yeah. I gotta talk to, I gotta talk to Lisa over in talent. I don't be doing any more of these radio hits. I used to coach the Bucks. <laughs> Do you remember that Rutgers Thursday night thing we did? The kick. These guys. Was he chop wood? Is that no? Right. Yeah, he chop was chop wood. wood right. Yeah. Chop okay. wood, and the guy almost cut his foot off. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I get chop chop wood, and then um, our bo- our boy PJ Fleck was row the boat. Still is row. The yeah, boat. row the boat. I forgot about PJ Fleck. Because that's my whole, the Russell Wilson thing, you know, is that Wilson was, <laughs> he had the interview the other night, uh, what the hell is that? The Packers win, right? Yeah, it was the Packers. Win. Yep. That was, that was actually a good game. He went right back into Russell Wilson. And it's comical to me, you know, that, that people are still learning this for the first time. And they'll go, oh, what about your boy Andrew Luck? Or what about Marcus Mariota? I think Marcus Mariota is incredibly boring. I don't think that's an act. I think that Andrew Luck is kind of a goofy, dorky, aw shucks guy, and the canned answers, however you want to phrase it, uh, that that's kind of who he is. I don't ever believe that this is who Russell Wilson is. That's my biggest beef with that, where it's so choreographed. And I think that's PJ Fleck. It's like it's incredibly choreographed. So I don't have a problem with boring. I don't have a problem with cliche all the time. I don't like cliche. I don't prefer it. But if I think that's who you are, eh, I'm just indifferent. But when I think it's always some sort of act that you're putting on, and Flex is a little different. It's more theatrical of like, look how I'm pulling all this together. And Wilson's is just, how can I compliment every other person before, you know, this whole bragging about how humble you are stuff the last couple of years is is painful. Uh, that's always been my Russell Wilson thing. Go Hawks. <laughs> Did you find one mailbag question you liked? Not real. Hold on. I mean, they're mostly just about lifting, which is we we get it. You know, people are asking for a life update because we have you haven't given a life update in a while. Here's the problem. All the all the TV writing stuff, I can't talk about any of it. I really can't. And it doesn't mean that I'm killing it, um, but it also doesn't mean that this isn't going to work. So, uh, you know, 
Like sometimes I'll sit in these meetings and they're like, tell us all of your ideas. And you're like, I'm not telling you everything. I don't, you know, like, are we on official pitch here? I don't think we're on official pitch. I'm not going to tell you everything I'm coming up with. We got gold up here. I might, I don't know if we're going to get, I can't, I can't say this because there was a chance, uh, if this thing gets greenlit, then I'm going to do this video thing that I'm actually kind of pumped about. It's not porn. I wouldn't be pumped about that. You know, I got a large family. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, Ryan, we, you know, we get that, you know, kind of living your own life out there and you may never settle down, but all hands on deck part eight, you know, come on, man. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I have anything else. Did you find one mailbag question you liked? Uh, I don't hate this one. Okay. Uh, What's the worst food trend you've noticed in LA? Pizza sucks. I can't get a good pizza in the South Bay. It's painful. Like Love and Salt's that my does favorite suck, restaurant. Actually. Yeah, my favorite restaurant in Manhattan Beach is Love and Salt. There's like five amazing restaurants right near my house. And they make a really good pizza, but it's it's a really nice restaurant you gotta go into. I mean, I can always get a takeout if I wanted to every now and then, but um you know, I can't there's no Hey, it's Sunday night football. I'm going to get a Luna pizza from West Hartford, get it delivered, 20 bucks, whatever, like done and done. And I know I'm going to enjoy every single slice. Uh, there, I haven't found anything like that. And when people listen to this, they're going to recommend all these pizza places. I've tried most of them. Most of them suck. So if you'd have some recommendations where you're saying it's legit, like you're, first of all, you got to tell me where you're from. If you're from Oklahoma City and you're arguing that you know pizza, you, I'm going to, I may block you. That's about it. Have a happy, happy Thanksgiving and, uh, enjoy, enjoy Black Friday. Enjoy Black Friday. It's my birthday. True story. Wow. I forgot my birthday. Uh, I literally forgot it was this Friday. Oh, What's hey, up? are you doing uh, a Canal podcast with you guys? We, we taped uh, with him yesterday. So, <laughs> hey, where can people download that if people want to hear that? Uh, that's, uh, what are we? We're Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Small Talk Pod. Yeah, Danny Canal's taping. We're hoping to tape with you middle of next month. All right, no problem. Hopefully we lock the time down. It was pretty good. It was good to talk to Danny, actually. I, I didn't talk to him in uh, well over a year, I'd imagine. I had a few questions about his Bama tweets at halftime of the Citadel game. He's the worst when it comes to that. He's just the worst. Yeah. He, he, you don't think he, I mean, I shouldn't shouldn't even go there, but like he knows what a complete hypocrite he is with every single thing he does, right? With that? I, I think he does. He's hard to listen to. But I, but I think, you know, he'll tell you that he's doing this tongue in cheek and it's all a joke. No, it's not. It's totally true. I I see how mad he gets about all this stuff. (laughs) So, uh, But he sounded good, so listen to the pod. All right, sounds good. You have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week.